0: to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Asgardio by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDaaS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes.
1: Everyone, this is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to a new redefining cybersecurity podcast here on ITSP Magazine. And uh, as many know, uh, this show is all about operationalizing security, actually getting getting beneath the uh, the marketing spin and uh, the MTTX uh, measurements, and figuring out what what it is we're really trying to do with security in business. And uh, today, I'm thrilled to have Javad Malik on. Uh, Javad, how are you?
2: I'm very good. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me.
1: Good to see you again. And uh, I'm blessed and honored to have uh, my co-founder, Marco, join me for this episode. Marco?
3: Well, I'm happy to be here. I mean, as soon as you told me, hey, Javad is on, I'm like, all right, that sounds like a, a good time. So know. You know, not only to educate our audience, but to, you know, to, to get to say
2: hello. And that's been a long time. So hi, Javad. Hi Marco, it has been a long time. So, yes. right, thank you both for taking time out to to have a chat with me. Of course, I, I hate to even think
1: back that it was uh, probably three summers ago in, in Europe,
2: something I, like that. I yeah, know,
1: I know it's it's a uh, it's sad. Hopefully, someday soon we'll uh, we'll get to connect in person again. Perhaps InfoSec Europe uh, this coming year, twenty twenty three, could be the yeah. magic moment. We'll see.
3: Yeah, that will be so, fine.
1: In the meantime, uh, security doesn't pause uh, while we figure out our travel plans, <laughs> right? Teams teams are still working, hopefully, and uh, certainly the cyber criminals are, and uh, businesses still trying to run and protect the revenue that they generate. And uh, we're going to talk about that in the context of culture and awareness and training and really bringing the human element. I often joke that there's a tech stack and a an human stack. Marco laughs at that. Uh, So operationalizing the human stack (laughs) in uh, the business of security and Javad. So before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts there uh, for those who may not know you, I mean, you're, you're very well known in the industry, uh, but for new listeners uh, joining us a few words about uh, who you are, what you're up to and, and uh, we'll go from there.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, like most people, I, I, I find really awkward introducing myself, but I also get quite quite surprised when I introduce myself and I think, wow, I've been working in the industry my entire career, it's like been 23 years. Uh, my hair's gone, it started off black and now it's all half gray, more than half gray. So yeah, I, I worked in where well, it was IT security. I, I, so I worked as a practitioner, I worked as a consultant, I worked as an industry analyst. Um so I, I've seen, I like to say, think I've I've seen several sides of the industry. Uh nowadays I work uh, on the vendor on, on the vendor side of the world. I, I worked for No Before where I'm just like a security awareness advocate. But but yeah, so um yeah, I, I, I've uh, I, I like to say that I'm I I was hands-on and technical enough at one point to be dangerous, and now I just rely on old war stories a lot in that regard. But uh the, the consulting and speaking. Being an analyst was great. Being an industry analyst, I worked at 451 Research. And that was like probably one of my favorite jobs intellectually because I spent all day just speaking to people far, far smarter than me. So company founders and investors and all that kind of jazz. So i got a really good appreciation of how the industry worked. So anyway, I've been around for a long time and I like to blog and make videos and all that kind of stuff and be on social media when I'm not working.
1: And, and do fun videos and stuff. Now, it, it it's the one role that I haven't held, perhaps, uh, the analyst role that I'm always intrigued by. And I feel I, I do some analyst-type work. Um, but the reason I'm starting with that is I want to want to pick a little bit on that uh, to get your, your first perspective on kind of where things sit with respect to the culture of security within an organization. Uh, to your point, you spoke to a lot of uh, executives and leaders and investors and, and uh, vendors, and I'm sure the whole mix. Um, how have things progressed over the years? I know awareness in general is up, um, but are we doing what we need to with respect to awareness over the years?
2: Oh, this is the, uh, this is the million dollar question, isn't it? So on, many fronts we are way ahead of where we were like 10 15 years ago companies are no longer doing that most companies are not doing should i say that once a year get everyone in a room feed them coffee and donuts and force feed them like this is what the policy is and basically read through the whole policy and then expect them to go out and be security experts so we've moved away from that and the the investment into that awareness side from vcs and then you've got tons of startups in this space as well everyone trying to tackle it from a from a different angle some people use simulated phishing, others people try to get more behavioral analytics out of your existing systems others have like some really funny or engaging videos and so so there's lots of different types of content out there and they all have their place i think what has driven this, like most things in security, the initial push has been through a a compliance angle. So let's get an LMS in place, a learning management system, so that we can give someone some content, give them some questions at the end of it, and therefore the regulator will be happy that we've tipped that box, like everyone's a security expert now. So I think that's kind of like where the industry came to, which is still, like I said, a far better place than what we were like 10, 15 years ago. But then, broadly speaking, it kind of I wouldn't say stagnated, but it, I think there's a few missteps that have been made along the way. And a lot of that has been really how security teams have treated their colleagues within the organization, so forcing them to go through these modules, even if they're 100 percent you know accurate and uh, you know they're, 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 they're correct. They, they might not be relevant, or they might not be timely, or these things interrupt people's workflow. So what we see is this kind of like, you know, subtle pushback, or in some cases, very vocal pushbacks. So we, we've all seen those headlines where a company has made massive layoffs, and then they get a phishing email, simulated phishing email from their IT team saying, hey, you've just been given a bonus. And then they click on it and they say, haha, suckers, uh, take this training. So in that regard, I think we're, we're taking some steps backwards. Just because we have these tools at our disposal doesn't mean we need to use them in this manner. And I think that's where um, you know, the industry needs to sort of like shift some of its uh, attention.
3: So um, I, I want to get philosophical right away because I know you, you, you're kind of already going there, right? So thank you, dog, for this. Uh, they have thoughts. <laughs> yeah, she she doesn't agree with me. Uh, so sometimes I think people still think that cybersecurity is a product. And I think it's a culture that use certain product to change that culture, that behavior, that mindset. At least this is what I'm figuring out in all this conversation that we're doing. And you're kind of going there. Like, so am I correct in thinking that way? Do, should we stop thinking of, cybersecurity as a product that is going to resolve your problem?
2: Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think if we think of it as a product, that's like thinking, it's like January's around the corner. It's like everyone taking out a gym membership in January thinking <laughs> that's what's going to get me fit. You know, The gym is not going to get you fit. It's your mindset. It's how you approach life. It's how you approach your diet. You know, really, if you want to get fit, all you need is a skipping rope. All you need is a pair of trainers and go for a run every morning. Uh, that's all you need. So you don't need a state-of-the-art gym. You don't need to buy like one of those home racks and every. And, and I've gone through all of that in in, in my life. I thought <laughs> maybe if I buy this this kit, maybe if I get this, then I'll have my six-pack abs. And it's not. It's it, It's really a mindset change, and you don't even need to go militant. I'm not saying like start measuring your food and you know, everything. You just need to just make a few sensible choices, cut out the soda, cut out the processed food, and, you know, the weight will come off and, and what have you. Anyway, that I've stretched that analogy probably a bit too far, but I think security is the same way. We, we need to think of it as as a mindset and as something that we embed within it and not rely on a product or a certain control alone because we, we've seen examples like perfect design, MFA is... A brilliant control. It's probably one of the best technical controls we can offer that is visible to an end user. Uh, it, it can protect their account but we've seen like with MFA fatigue attacks even they are can be compromised because the user's getting all these prompts and they get fed up and then someone calls them up and say hello I'm from your IT team and there's a problem with authentication just click approve and those problems will go away and they're like thank you okay my problems are now solved and, you know, that's really where the problems are all beginning. So, uh, you know, just relying on a certain product or a tool or a, if I buy this thing, whether it be, you know, consultancy from a, from a big four or something, that's not going to solve your problems. It's, the change has to come from within.
1: So I'm, I'm going to stick with the, and, and I don't know if it needs to be the gym, but I'll, I'll take any hobby. Because I have many hobbies and uh, the the uh, the receipts to prove that I have them. Because um, when I get interested in something, I want to be in it. So if I'm if I'm gonna play some tennis, I'm gonna get a nice racket and and some good balls and the right gear and good shoes and maybe a nice bag to haul that stuff with. That that I feel like I'm ready to do with that. That hobby, that that that,
3: sport, and then you that, miss the ball,
1: and then I miss the ball, and I look stupid anyway. <laughs> but my so Mike is still on this kind of philosophical. I know we wanted to talk about, um, I think you call it the branding of the security team, but I'm just wondering, just the the, it is the mindset, and you talk about, you talked about uh, measuring the calories and things like that. I'm just I'm just wondering, uh, keeping with that analogy, how how do we as a security team actually feel good about what we're doing. I think there is a place for technologies and tools to help us feel good and and to demonstrate that we we can do things. Um not superfluously. I mean I don't want to waste money, but if I feel good about doing what I'm doing, maybe I will actually hit the ball sometime. Right. So I don't know your thoughts on on that. Yeah.
2: So so there's this is um if if we stay on the philosophical angle, there's, there's this A misconception most people have is that when I'm motivated to do something I will do something so if I wait to be motivated to hit the gym then I'll have a good workout whereas really what studies have shown in behavioral psychology is that if you identify as a healthy person as a fit person you will then go and do the actions that will lead you to becoming a healthy person so I think that that validation or that self-image needs to be corrected first, and that will make you feel good, or that will give you the motivation. Feeling good won't give you the motivation to, to go ahead and do it. So I, I think that there, there's, there's something to your point. I, I, I'm not trying to completely dismiss it, but I think really it, it needs to be in turn, like we need to think about what is our mission here. And, and like most jobs, the mission isn't to feel good, it's to be efficient in our jobs. Now, maybe the question is, how do we measure if we're good at our jobs? And that's, that's, that's a very valid thing because I think security is quite difficult to measure um, consistently across all the different dimensions of security. But, um, but, but really, I think it, it comes down to that, that self-image. Are we reducing risk? I mean, ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. Um, okay, how do I go about, I, we are the department that is going to help reduce cyber risk. Okay. And then take it from there and then invest or, or take those steps that, that fulfill that mission.
3: So, I mean, obviously, we, we make fun of things because, of course, you need the tool. You know, you need the motivation and you need the knowledge and you need the tools. Because I think that if someone is actually using it, the tool, even the psychological one correctly uh, for bad reason is the cyber criminals. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they're, they're still a step ahead. And I think they understood they're using technology, strictly technology. It's not going to get them anywhere. So it's, it's more a, a human weakness that we're looking at here. So I know you've been doing some research in, you know, what, what are the latest uh, funny or scary, whatever you want to go with that, um, techniques that we're, we're facing now. And maybe what is much different from what it was uh, a few years ago
2: yeah so there are so so just if i just rewind slightly just on the psychology point uh, just for the last thing and uh, you know with 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 our internally like um the fear of the 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 the, uh, the negative outweighs the fear of the 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 positive or or the or the reward of the positive so um basically like the football's on at the moment the world cup you might be watching it or soccer, as some of you might refer to it. Um, if if you have a penalty, uh, if you're taking a penalty, statistically, you have more chance of scoring if you go straight down the middle, because the goalkeeper before you shoot has made up their mind whether they're going to dive to the left or the right, the high or the low. So statistically, most of them will dive to one of the sides as opposed to staying in the middle. So you've got more chance of shooting straight down the middle and scoring. But very few players will take that shot down the middle because if they shoot down the middle and the goalkeeper saves it, the striker looks stupid. They look like, why did this idiot just shoot straight down the middle? But if they shoot to the corner and the goalkeeper saves it, everyone will say, well, the goalkeeper was very good. <laughs> and this is, I think, the, the, cha- the one of the fundamental problems we see a lot of security teams and CISOs have is like they might say for a long time but for the longest time before EDR came out it was like antivirus is useless okay we agree remove it from your estate well <laughs> if we get if we get popped you don't need the goalie <laughs> yeah if we get popped and someone says they didn't even have antivirus then I look stupid
3: wow that's that's a really good uh really good metaphor I love it Given I'm not following because uh, with two years of not qualifying in Italy, I I refuse to watch it, but that's a different story. <laughs> no, I love that. So th- th- with that in mind, are we giving an advantage to to the opposite team yeah,
2: by having
3: are. to play by the rules of looking like we're doing the right thing, we're checking the box, but yeah, no, we aren't really doing the right thing.
1: And yeah, no, I we, guess the, the question is, are there cyber criminals that they know shooting down the middle? So they don't, don't care they look
2: bad? <laughs> yeah, no, they, they know exactly what to do. Exactly. So so they will be very more likely to play the game far more. And, um, you know, we see this happening in all sorts of industries. So So the other example I love is that of Coca-Cola. For the last hundred years, they've been the dominant soft drink, you know, seller in the world. Apart from a few geographies, no one's really taken significant market share from them and why is that because everyone that goes to compete with coke they try to follow the coke formula let's make a cola let's sell it let's try to make it a bit sweeter let's try to sell it a bit cheaper let's try to sell it in a bigger bottle these are the things they go for and there's nothing wrong with that but all of them have failed in that approach they haven't really made much headway The, the the one soft drink manufacturer that has taken the most market share from coke in the last 50 years it comes in a tiny can it tastes absolutely vile and it's far more expensive which is red bull so you know it again i think if if you if you're always following the same pattern then coke is going to be like okay that here comes another competitor try and do what we do okay let's spend another five billion this year on advertising and drown them out but when something very different came along um, you know, it caught them off guard, and there's lots of like marketing techniques they use to to maximize that. But I think the same thing happens in security. We we just go for the same formula time and time again. If you can get any CISO and say, okay, how do you build a security team? They'll probably start with the same base layer. Okay, let's have some perimeter control, some endpoint, some uh, some uh, dynamic or, or static like code testing. Let's have a SOC built with this many people in place. Let's do log management. Let's let's have these the sort of, and all of that is right. That's perfect. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying these aren't tried and tested methods. But I'm saying if this is all you're relying on, the best practices, quote unquote, then you know you you, you might be missing some techniques and tactics that could make you really uh, an unattractive target to criminals or increase the difficulty for criminals trying to get in and 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 compromise you. And 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 that's really what we're doing. I mean, how do we reduce the risk? It's like by making it more difficult for active criminals to, to actually break in. If if we can force them to be more noisy in our network, if we can force them to like, okay, an email alone won't work, I have to now phone someone else, or maybe I have to physically turn up to their building, it increases their risk. And they're going to be like, you know, screw that, man. I'm going to just go, go go, hack someone else because they're a lot easier.
1: Yeah, and I know you, you started to give... Uh... A few examples there. I want to bring it to to reality, and I don't know if we want to dig into ransomware and 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 some of those uh, attributes or methods, perhaps that, that are used for that. Because what I mean, we can talk analogies and and use fabulous stories like we have. Um, but at the end of the day, right? We're we're saddled with a bunch of technologies we deployed to generate business and generate revenue, and those are enabled by systems and, and uh, fueled by data. And then we're responsible for the controls, um, physical, digital, and human, and otherwise, uh, to ensure that whatever revenues pre- generated is protected. So how, just maybe using ransomware, if you have other ideas, how, how do we avoid the, the shoot down the middle <laughs> scenarios? Um, how do we look good? Um, also doing good and not just looking good for the sake of looking good what, what are some ideas there
2: so i so because the the analyst sort of like that still lives within deep within somewhere i i think data is our friend if we know how to read it and interpret it so there's there's two primary sources of data we, we look at the external data that you know peers give or surveys or other organizations provide so okay how's ransomware getting into our organizations that's that's one avenue uh, and the second massive underutilized source data is our internal um instant locks, basically you know what's our top causes of incidents over the last couple of years go through that it's not easy it's not anything at all can give you you need to sit down and go through those incident reports and read them and say okay what was the root cause how did they get in how did they get in and Internally, uh, you know, that's something for every, every CISO to do internally themselves. But when you look at all the external reports, the top three attack vectors are phishing or spear phishing, more specifically, uh, um, exploiting unpatched vulnerabilities on public systems. And the third is um, going after weak credentials or like things like expose RDP with a weak password or, or, or what have you. So these, and, and do you three, know
1: does it does it matter whether it's on premises or in the cloud?
2: It doesn't really make that much of a difference. No, no, it's like these these still remain that you know. The, I mean, the patching sort of like goes down a bit in the cloud, especially if you if your cloud providers updating that for you or whatever you. But your your social engineering and your credential protection really remains the, the same level of risk. So, I'd say if you can start with these and these aren't sexy, but I'd say like, this is, and you, and you see, once you see this, you will start seeing every, every breach reported in, and in this light, you'll say it's right. It's like 60, 80, 90% of all breaches, they, they fall into one of these three broad categories. What really advances in terms of like, even when you look at states, state sponsored attackers or what have you, it's not really the initial attack vector. It's really how they then disguise their movements once they're in your system that's where the sophistication really goes so if we can block off or make it really difficult for these criminals to initially infect your organization i think that is that is like critical so you know and and again all of these there's no one way you 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 just clear it off it's not like oh let's let's train our users and spear phishing will go away no invest in your gate mail gateway, invest in some um, you know, detection controls on your endpoint, some behaviorals, heuristics, whatever, you know, have an EDR there so that even if someone does click on something, it can block it, you know, all that kind of stuff. But but focus on these. And I think that will be really, really good in driving your your product selection strategy. And you will have a defined outcome associated with you know, your, your choice. And and one thing uh, Wendy Lather used to say to me, she was my boss when I was at 451 Research. I was like, when, uh, this is when I was new. And I was like, Wendy, I don't know what to write in this report. I think this, I think that. But, you know, how do you know when you're right? And she was like, you know, no one really knows in this field what's right or wrong. She goes, but just write whatever you want, as long as it is defensible. And I, I for the longest time I had it on a post-it note on my on my desk. I was like, is it defensible? question mark. And so I, I, I say that, ask that off, off a lot of like CISO friends and my few. I said, like, okay, you, you're doing this. What's the rationale? Is it defensible? Uh, and so I think if you take a data-driven approach like like this, and you say, okay, these are the top attack vectors, this is how they get in with ransomware. Okay. Let's let's implement some controls, some layers to to lessen that risk. Okay, that's good. Then, what do they do once they're in the organisation? And we know for a lot of these um, these these gans, they they spend longer and longer within the, the the network, trying to find out what's what's the juicy data, exfiltrating some data, what have you. Okay, so that means I need to look at this technology or this technology. You know, may, maybe I need. I don't need a SIM. Maybe I just need to deploy some some better honeypots because that would be really effective, like fewer alerts, but high quality alerts. Maybe that's what I need as opposed to more alerts. Maybe that's not the answer. Uh, maybe I need some exfiltration like DLP type, type scenario in there and what have you. Um, and then the final stage is all your um, your your recovery. So if you are, are popped, like, you know, what is your technical recovery controls? What's your uh, comms plan? And all that kind of good stuff. So. So we're still working within the layers, but now we're using the data to justify each one of our expenses and we, we tie it down to a specific outcome that we're looking for. That way, even if like you are one of those CISOs that's only there for 18 months and then you're moved on, you're, the next person that comes in, they can actually take a look at the strategy and they can say, well, okay, I understand why those decisions were made. It's not a political decision, it's based on data. And I think that's the way that we... We make forward and we pass on the baton in a in a respectful manner to our
1: peers. I'm still going to scrap the program and start over. Yeah.
2: Well, you know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I think we we kind of going in full circle here. We started with like you know we we can buy the better. It's a product. We buy the best product. Like Sean, you know, buying a less ball guitar to, to play it really
1: good to practice once a year. Yes.
3: What <laughs> right. now? Now I'm getting to the point that the training the practice i mean we, we again we're making fun of things here but we need both so how is it training on your opinion being evolving and is it getting better is it getting more effective in light of maybe better tools um when you need to use both right
2: so yeah so so training overall is a lot lot better than where it was the the, the volume and the variety of material out there to help teach people is immense and forget about paid stuff you you can go on youtube or tiktok and there's so much free content out there so it's not a lack of uh lack of information i mean as an industry one of the problems we've had is we focus a lot on training and not enough on awareness and that was compliance driven yeah get it but we need to move away from this like you should do this that yes and no's Because that will only get people thinking in a specific, okay, if this happens, then do this. Uh, Raising awareness or thinking more like a marketer will help people build a framework in their mind as to what to do. And and that's really important. And there's a lot of that type of good engaging content out there now as well, because it's a bit like teaching a kid how to cross the road. You don't take, take them to every single road and say, this is how you cross this road, this is how you cross this road. This. You just, whichever road you're at, you tell them, okay, we find the right place, stop, find the safe place, look, listen, when it's safe, then you cross. And if you build that framework of how to safely cross a road, they can then go to any road in the world pretty much, and they will know how to safely cross it. Unless so we you go still- from the
1: from the States to uh, to London.
2: Yeah, yeah. We well, we you know, look right. Well, we're, we're, we're pretty helpful over here because on the floor, there's know. little arrows that say look left or look right. Or, or, look right. So um, you know, so that it anticipates that lots of foreigners are from Europe or the US they'll be there, and it's we're driving on the other side of the road, the correct side of the road, might I add. And uh, I heard that. And therefore, you can, um, you can, uh, you know. You, and, and that's really, really, there's something really important about that as well, is that that is training as well. That's an awareness. You're telling someone to look right because that's where the traffic's coming from. And it's, and it's knowledge that's given to you at the time that you need it the most. You're about to cross the road, that's the time where you tell someone to look in that direction. There's no point if you are on your flight over from New York to London, and midway through, the 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 you know the air, air staff comes on and they say like, oh, by the way, they drive on the left-hand side of the road. So when you're crossing, look to the right. The information is correct. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just given at the completely wrong time. You, you It's not, of no use to you then. And this but is- ma- a, may In add New one York,
1: you get, the, you get the honk and the fu. Yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah. Know, okay, you're about
2: to cross.
3: good. <laughs> Stay right there. Because for me, the best lesson, and that's when you become- awareness and, and a culture, like it becomes part of who you are and how you act is, for example, even if you are on a one-way road, I would suggest to look on both sides because there's going to be that EU that is not respecting the the thing. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's somebody on a bike, maybe anything else. And maybe somebody that is not from that country is the first time you get the car and he's on the wrong side yeah. <laughs> of the road. So my, my point is, understanding exactly why you do it and not because you've told you to do it like that you know you know that the danger can come from both sides and new york is a good example i think i'll, I'll look two three times both sides before i cross the street mm-hmm. there or in italy if you want to yeah. tell me that.
2: <laughs> no absolutely you're, you're right and and this this goes back to that building that framework of thinking within people's minds isn't it we want to say okay these are some of the risks this is the proper way but then there are idiots on the road and you need to look out for them and and this is why if you can build that so if there's there's no point in just teaching people this is how you spot a phishing email because Mm. now phishing comes in how it comes in on, on your text messages it comes in on social media on twitter dms on instagram on discord channels everywhere you look it's a channel. Any any connection point is a channel. It comes on WhatsApp messages. So so, there's no way you can train everyone on like every single channel out there, but you say, okay, here's some of the red flags. Here's how they will approach you. Here's some of the things to look out for. And if you're careful, then you won't fall victim to it. And, and I think that's the direction we need to go in more.
1: And does the tone matter? I know early on you gave the example of, of, uh, people being laid off and and then the phishing email comes with, by the way, you got a bonus uh, because we have all this money now. Uh, <laughs> ha ha. Thanks for clicking this link. Um, how, what what are your thoughts on kind of tricking and teasing? And I gave the example of the, the horn and the honking, uh, which yeah. can be very aggressive as an alert. Um, but then the, the, the clip of the, uh, the food delivery guy on the bike, uh, Marco noted the bikes. They're not honking. They have their earbuds in, listening to the to the uh, soccer match, football match, and uh, they're just going to swing by, and their 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 handlebars are going to clip you. That's your signal. <laughs> that you're in the you're in the bike lane. So, how do, how much does context and tone uh, matter? Not just the timing.
2: Oh, I, I think context and tone is like half the battle here. Um, if and, and a lot of this, I think, comes back to really how the relationship of the security team is with the rest of the organization. So, you know, and a good litmus test is just go into your any department in your organization, say, "Hey, buddy, how's it going? Do you know who the security team are?" And maybe they'll have a nickname for you. Maybe they call you the department of no, or something like that. Or if they're being polite, say. Okay, are you aware of where the policy is, are you aware there's a policy? Yeah, we know there's a security policy. Do you know how to find it? Not really. Um, it's somewhere on the internet. I'm going to have to search for it. Uh, do you know how to report an issue? I have no idea. Maybe I raise an IT ticket. I don't know. You know, there's all these things, and and like you know, how do they perceive you? Do they really want you in that in that room? And there's there's a survey done by a by a hotel chain, uh, a customer satisfaction survey, and so it's rating of one to five between disappointed to extremely happy about how the room was, how the food was, how the you know cleanliness was, all those kinds of things. And they found that the answers were heavily, heavily influenced by the check-in time and process. So if they felt that they had a good check-in process, they scored everything else higher. And if they scored as uh, if they scored lower on that, they had to wait a long time or there's a mix-up, then they scored everything else lower. And and this is um, true when you look at security teams as well. Like, what is the first time one of someone in the in the organization interacts with the security team? It's either to bore them during induction week, or it's to slap them on the wrist to say you've done something wrong, to deny their request in a project, or to say, ha ha, we just caught you out. Look how clever we are, and look how dumb you are. So a lot of it comes down to that relationship and how you've built it, and and I always say like before you send that first phishing email, let people know that you're going to do this and why you are going to do this, because you you have to understand how do people feel once they fall for a phishing email, and it could be and the template here becomes irrelevant. It could be a very benign sort of very simple thing, but how do they feel? How do you make them feel? And if you make them feel like you've tricked them, then they're going to be unhappy with you, and whatever you say after that, whatever training you provide, they're not going to care because they're going to be pissed off at you. Um, but if you if they feel like it was an education, then they'll they'll have a very different reaction.
3: How how do you education? feel about gamification, like making it? A game as you learn as you go, and it's kind of fun. Maybe there is a score going on. I mean, I think we had some conversation the other day about you know the, the level of education you can achieve with video games and kids. But I think it does work for adult too. So any any point on that?
2: Yeah, gamification is fantastic, and uh, I, I I know of several um, companies that used it even in phishing uh, sort of thing. So you know, October is traditionally known as Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So some some someone I spoke to, they said, okay, here's a completely voluntary opt into this game. And what they do is they'll send you phishing emails throughout the month and they progressively get harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And because people have opted in, they, they're just cool with it. It doesn't matter what the context is. And then at the end of the month, there's a score and whoever scored the most gets a prize or what have you. Um, there's another company I know of what they did is they they pitted departments against each other. Mm-hmm. And what they did, so say it was finance versus HR, they would say to finance, okay, here are three phishing templates. Which one do you vote that we send to HR? Oh, cool. I like it. And then they've done the same for HR to finance. Mm. So that way they're picking their weapon of choice. They're sending it. So, and, and then everyone's cool with it because it's not the bad security team trying to trick them. It's their colleagues tricking them as part of a game. So it's a bit like Battleship. So then it becomes a lot more enjoyable.
3: And also allows you, in this case, to see things from the other perspective, like where you are kind of the attacker. And yeah. I feel like that's that's very very important to kind of getting other the other team's shoes. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I love this, and it, I'm I'm glad you went there because it's where I wanted to take us as as we kind of wrap. And it's a view for the future. And and my thoughts were along this line that that. um different departments uh, probably have different views and different ways of thinking, just like we look at engineers, uh, developers versus QA even think differently. Um, audit look, thinks differently than compliance. Um, so my, my question is the future of security training, security awareness, security culture, um, where do you think it's going?
2: Yeah. So, so- I I love the point you just made. I think, you know, everyone's guilty of this. Like, you take any problem to an engineer, they will reframe it as an engineering problem and give you an engineering solution. And this is what we do with security. We can take any risk, cyber risk, and we will reframe it in our own terms and then provide the solution like that. And I think what we need to do is get more people involved in that process. And I'm not saying we set up a program and take, hours and hours of people's time a year or or what have you but really we we just need to get people involved in the process of like you know sometimes phishing is like hey do you want to select the phishing template that we send out that's a good good way to to get people involved Or, or what here are here are some training modules which ones should be good or you know this is the outcome we're trying to achieve we want people to lock their workstations when they leave okay now what do we do? We think, okay, let's decrease the lockout time. So five minutes of inactivity, the, the screen automatically locks. Okay, no, maybe how about we ask them and say, well, what do you want? And they're like, you know what? I can never remember the, the functions. So give me some three stickers I can put on my keyboard that reminds me that I just have to hit these keys when I walk off or set, set me up a hotspot in the corner. So I move my, drag my mouse into it. So oftentimes we, we try to solutionize before we actually understand what's the root cause of, of something happening, so I think that getting different people together is um, is and getting their viewpoints is really the the key to to uh, to making that because you know value itself is is a very ambiguous term, and I, I often say like you know sometimes there's this this, um, this this hero complex that we have in security that we have to go out and save everyone from themselves or save the organization without us they they all go bankrupt. But you know, if, if you imagine a, you go to a restaurant, and I tell you it's a restaurant that there's a Michelin star chef in the kitchen, and the food is just perfect, but you turn up and the tables are dirty, there's flies, and the place smells of sewage, you're not going to sit there. So by that term, the cleaner and the waiter are adding as much value to that business as that Michelin star chef is, and this is what i think we need to think about is security that our colleagues in any department in sales in marketing in finance in hr they are adding just as much security to the organization as we are and we need to recognize that and give them the right tools in in a way that is useful for them and that's how we move the needle Um, everyone talks about zero trust Uh, let's start talking about zero friction let's talk about making their lives easier so having the tools or, or, the, or the knowledge or the learning in place that doesn't really impact their job, but helps them make better risk decisions.
1: Uh, boy, I, I have like 10 more questions in my head and uh, it is my show. I could ask one more. We talked before we started about kind of changing the way business works. So rather than just plugging the holes, closing the gaps, do you find the work you're doing in awareness and training and culture building and defining that organizations are able to say, okay, we have a really bad process or some really faulty logic or this workflow just breaks down here all the time. So rather than continuing to press on the human to say, no, you really shouldn't, no, you really shouldn't, that the company actually addresses the core issue uh, as a way to, to solve the problem.
2: Yeah. So, so that happens sometimes and and what it is is sometimes it's really difficult for even as individuals forget about companies but you know as individuals ego comes into it and it's really hard to admit when you're when you've made a mistake and 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 changing it from that perspective but what i find easier is you just help them ask the right questions because we live in a world of assumptions we we think you know how many times have we seen like oh companies their patching is rubbish because they're lazy or because they don't have an asset inventory or because of this or you know it's really easy to sit on the sidelines and make assumptions and therefore then leading to a faulty chain of logic that leads to oh so now we need to do x if they just had five more analysts in their SOC then they could have seen this or or what have you and and sometimes it's it's about understanding what the the pain point actually is that that i mean i i spoke to um uh, i was i was reading i spoke to a customer of uh, they they had um canary those uh, canary tools by thinkst i don't know they're, they're those little honeypot devices and he said that he he was a director of security at a company and he said he he installed them and literally they they only go off when someone is scanning or or unauthorized or what have you and he said it completely shifted how we thought about log management and alerts and what have you he goes like i've got a sim on one hand that is generating me a thousand events a day whatever and he goes then i've got this little box that only tweets at me once a year but i run into this tweet and i that's all buried in the noise so you know it's about i think what what you said in the beginning it's about what's the outcome we're trying to achieve are we trying to collect a million logs a day well no that's not our outcome our 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 objective is like how are we going to find bad behavior and how are we going to you know, stop it and um, you know the Eurostar the, the, the train that connects the UK to the mainland of off Europe and it goes they, they a few years ago they spent about six billion pounds um, to improve the efficiency of the train so and it cut the journey time between London and Paris by 40 minutes so that's an awful lot of money to reduce the journey time from. I think it was like two hours 40 to two hours or something they cut the journey time down.
1: And they, but, they let less revenue on uh, booze because it's yeah. one less drink. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Wise- exactly. <laughs> you see, you see, now the thing is like when you actually break it down, the journey time itself is the least painful part of of, of your of your commute. Um it's the um What's more painful is getting to the airport or to the check-in terminal, going through security, um, you know, getting searched, waiting to board, finding your seat. You know, if you want to improve the experience, improve those parts first. Don't spend six billion on shaving a few minutes off the journey time, which once you're sat there, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. In fact, if you wanted to spend that six billion better, um, you could have offered free boots to everyone served by a, a top class model. And in a year, you'd still know where you know in ten years you'd probably that would like five years out that money would last you, and people would actually ask for the trains to be slowed down as opposed to sped up i suppose
1: sorry. Javado. I already have a job I can't be uh certain whos <laughs> ah. <all> <laughs> <laughs> uh well i could I could chat with you for hours it It's been way too long since we uh we had a chance to to uh talk and catch up and I love the work you do, and uh, yeah, in every facet uh, of your of your role in the community, and and uh, yeah, appreciate you sharing sharing your thoughts with us and and helping those listening operationalize uh, security culture in the business. It's an important element, and uh, I'm thrilled Marco was on to uh, to bring it philosophical as well.
3: Oh yeah, I had a good time, and I I, always this was more about the humans than. The humans, and, uh, and you know, I I'm a big <laughs> fan of uh, infosec and cybersecurity. Is about the humans, so it is. You got me on that we, one.
1: We touched all humans in this one: the practitioners yeah. and the and the employees. So
3: yeah, and of course, great to see you, Javad. Um,
2: at least virtually. And, yeah, uh, no, hopefully, next you, time bro. we'll Thank be you. in person. Thank you so much. No, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: And uh, for those listening, appreciate you joining us. And uh, we'll ask Javad to share any links to articles, research, um, blogs he's written, books he's published, whatever helps uh, you get your head wrapped around this conversation and then take some next steps to uh, operationalize cybersecurity. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, stay tuned for more Redefining Cybersecurity here on for
0: Asgardio by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDaaS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcasts.